us to us this morning from Matthew 13, verses 24 through 43. Please read with me. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word and for your spirit. Uh, These are tremendous things, Lord, and we lean into them this morning and ask that you might reveal yourself through them and through that unique power of the proclamation of your word, Lord. We pray for your spirit also upon the heart and mind of Pastor Andrew as he delivers your truth to us, Lord. And likewise, I just pray that your spirit would affect our hearts and minds, that we would uh, be able to truly listen and absorb and apply what you have for us this morning and go away renewed, I pray. pray this in your name alone. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Wow. That was nice. Yeah. It's great to open God's Word with you this morning. We're continuing on uh, a look at the kingdom of God and uh, utilizing parables that Jesus told. You see here in the, the passage, verses 34 and 35, this was a, a normal way for Jesus to teach. 
Uh, in fact, that's what it means when it says uh, he said nothing to them without a parable. It's not that he didn't say anything to them ever in any other way without a parable, but it was a very common way for him to teach, using these uh, very concrete stories to, to illustrate uh, heavenly truths and to help make clear to those who were listening these things that were, again, referring to, to verses 34 and 35, that were, uh, that were there, they were present from of old, uh, but they had not been fully understood. And, and Jesus was continuing to build on and, and bringing out the truth of the kingdom. Connects us back to verse 52 that we saw last week. You know, the scribe brings out both treasures, old and new. Uh, Jesus is, through the use of these parables, teaching things, elucidating, making clear ideas that have been woven into the very fabric of the world. Uh, it was difficult uh, for some folks to see them, even difficult for the Israelites to whom things had been revealed. But now Jesus is here, and he's wanting us to see truths of the kingdom. Last week, uh, we, we sort of started at the end of this uh, passage in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to work our way backward. The reason why we did that is I wanted to emphasize that when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, he's talking about the best news ever. Uh, there, there is nothing that compares to the, to the beauty and the glory of the kingdom, and I hope that came through last week. Uh, just the absolute priceless nature uh, of what Jesus has to offer us. Nothing compares to these truths. And as we continue to walk through, we're, we're going to start to discover a little bit why. You know, why is it that the kingdom is so priceless? Why is it that it's a beauty that outshines any other beauty? And one of the reasons that we see today uh, is that the kingdom is resilient. The kingdom has a, a staying power, if you will, uh, there, is, there is something mighty uh, about the kingdom as it comes into our world. I want to start, uh, and if you were paying attention in the bulletin, you noticed that at the 1115 service, we're going to be baptizing uh, two infants from the congregation. Those of you who aren't familiar with Presbyterianism, we, we baptize infants uh, as part of a, uh, it's a marker. God makes promises that they are uh, recipients of the covenant blessings, uh, that uh, they receive the word of truth, that they receive uh, the ministrations of grace in their lives, and, and God speaks these blessings over our kids in baptism. Uh, over the years, there have been different sort of ways that folks have uh, stepped into baptism, both as infants and as adults. There's an older baptismal form that's still in use in, in some uh, different traditions that speaks to the, to the, baptiz uh, the, the person being baptized and also to the community because baptism isn't simply for the individual. Baptism is a sacrament given to the entire community. And it speaks to them in a series of questions. It says this, Do you renounce Satan 
and all the spiritual forces in the world that rebel against God. And the community says, we do. Do you renounce the evil powers of this world which uh, corrupt and destroy the good creation of God? And the community, along with the one being baptized, will answer, we do. Do you renounce all the sinful desires that draw you away from the love of God? We do. And then there is a, a recitation of the Apostles' Creed, and it closes this way. It says, do you turn to God, trusting him alone, to save you from the guilt and power of sin, and to strengthen you to serve in the mission of his kingdom? And the answer is, we do. Uh, it, it, it's a powerful uh, sort of explanation of or uh, picture of what is going on. I think about it especially. I was visiting with the Rodenbecks and, and talking about baptism and I had the opportunity to hold little Calvin uh, during that time. And he's tiny. I mean, he's really small. And, uh, and I think about somebody that small uh, in the face of all of the evil powers in this world, I think about somebody that small who is going to grow up, you know, in a, a, a mixed world where there are believers and there are unbelievers. There are things that point us to the kingdom. There are things that would take us away from the kingdom and they would destroy us. And I think, you know, I had the words of Amos 7 in my mind uh, where the, the prophet says to God, how, how can Jacob stand? He is so small. And I feel that way about our kids. I feel that way about myself because the reality is, you know, we have to recognize that we are as little children in order to come into the kingdom. And that doesn't mean that we're cute and that we don't sin, right? It, it means that we are, are helpless and, and we're, we're dependent, we're, we're weak. We don't have anything in and of ourselves that makes us fit for the kingdom. We don't have anything in and of ourselves, uh, a power that can withstand the evil. So how is it that we stand as those who are so small. And, and that surely had to be a question for the disciples. I mean, think about, you know, how this is developing. It's Jesus, an itinerant preacher, right, who first got three, you know, Peter, James, and John, and then he kept adding a couple people. But they weren't very illustrious people. We'll take that, you know, tax collector over there sitting by the gate and, you know, a couple more fishermen. And uh, yes, you know, really paying attention to the women and the children of the age who were not highly uh, considered in that particular day and age. So it wasn't a very illustrious beginning for the church. How is it that it can stand. It's so small. And I believe that's why Jesus gives us uh, these three parables here to help us have confidence as the church, to help us have confidence as those who belong to the kingdom that God knows what he's doing. And, and, and those who, who seem small, those who seem put upon, can believe and can trust and can move forward 
with the confidence that we need. So I want to take a look. I'm going to spend a good bit of time on the first parable as well as the explanation. It's the biggest part of our text. Um, It is one of the parables that Jesus does go through and explain in a little bit more detail, which we're grateful for. Uh, He gives the parable to the crowds. He gives the explanation to the disciples. You see that in verse 36. He left the crowds. He went into the house, and his disciples came and said, we explain this, and then he goes on, uh, and he does that. You know, part of the purpose of parables is is to separate. You know, those who, who see and, and those to whom the truth is still concealed. And, and as disciples, you know, Jesus helps us to walk in and to get our arms around a little bit of what uh, he is saying. And so encourage us to push in and seek to understand it. First of all, just a couple of observations before we get to the real threats. Uh, and, and this is important. The field is the world. Right? You see that very clearly stated in the text. The field is the world. Uh, this does not mean that the field is the church. Uh, there has been a misapplication of this parable uh, in that uh, it's been claimed that the church uh, is sort of the equivalent of um, the Maybe back up and say that a little bit. When I talk about the church, I, I mean the visible church, the, the local church you know, w- that we experience as opposed to the invisible church, the, the true church of God uh, that, that only God can see perfectly right now. Uh, some have said that this is a parable that says in the church there will be uh, wheat and weeds. That is not what it is saying. Uh, that may be true, you know, from a, a visible church perspective. We, we recognize, you know, sadly that not all who call themselves Christians will ultimately prove to be Christians. Uh, and in that sense, parables come by way of warning to us and invitation. But Jesus here is talking about most, uh, most directly, he's talking about the world. Uh, outside of the church. And he's saying, when you go out into the world, you have to recognize that there are sons of the kingdom uh, sown among those who are sons of the enemy. Uh, So, clear distinctions there. Real threats. Uh, There is an enemy who sows. That That is and should be clear from all of biblical teaching. Uh, This is a reality of the world that we live in. Uh, There is an enemy who is uh, arrayed against the Lord. He is arrayed against his purposes in the world. Uh, He is arrayed against his kingdom. Uh, This enemy shows up in in various ways uh, throughout the the scriptures. We, We see him working in the garden. We see him working against the, the Lord's chosen ones. Uh, we see him back, you know, specifically tempting Jesus in order to uh, move him away from the purposes that God had. Uh, we see 
Peter and others saying, beware, be sober, be vigilant for your enemy the devil roar, you know, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There is an enemy in this world. And, and sometimes I think we have to ask ourselves, are we living like there is an enemy? You know, are we on our guard uh, at the, the various intersections of our life, whether it be, uh, you know, in uh, the, the media that we consume, the, the, the friends that we make, all of these things? Are, are, we, are we keeping mindful of the fact that not all, you know, not all love the Lord the way that we are desiring to love the Lord. There, there is an enemy, and that enemy is actively sowing, actively going out in order to, to plant a, uh, a weed for the destruction of the wheat. I mean, that, the enemy is at work. This was, incidentally, you know, sort of, you know, precursor to bioterrorism that, that did exist. Uh, they, the folks would do this. They would plant, uh, the older translations have the word tares. Some of you may know this parable through that, the wheat and the tares. Uh, they would plant a, a seed uh, that was called darnel. Uh, and w at the early stages of growth, it looks a lot like wheat. It's very, uh, it's almost indistinguishable. But it's not until later on that it, it, it is discernible which is the wheat and which is the darnel. Darnel is poisonous. Uh, wheat, of course, is not. That's a, that's a good thing. Uh, so th this was a real thing. People would do this in order to affect the fields of their enemies and uh, different things like that. But part of this parable is saying, be on your guard. Be aware. There is a real enemy in this world. Do not underestimate, uh, do not underestimate this reality. And then the reality that this enemy is sowing things that exist alongside of the wheat. There's an enemy who is arrayed against us. As we go out into the world, uh, the, those who are sons of the kingdom can be growing as wheat, but alongside of them are our tares, our uh, weeds that are, are growing according to their nature. They're, they're growing to be poisonous. Uh, and I think that's the point. There's an enemy who is out to do harm. There is an enemy who does not have our best interests in mind. And again, Jesus wants to highlight this for his people. But, and here's where we continue on, this is not actually the primary point of the parable. Uh, the primary point of the parable is that in the face of this reality, a real enemy who desires to do harm, in the face of this, we can have confidence because the landowner has a wisdom that knows how to bring the wheat into the harvest. Uh, and, and that's how the story goes. There, there is real growth. The fact of the tares, the fact of the, the weeds, the darnel, uh, cannot extinguish the fact that the wheat continues to grow. 
In fact, uh, the landowner, uh, in his wisdom, says, don't uproot the weeds, lest in uprooting these weeds, you uproot the wheat as well. Uh, He allows them to grow together. But the harvest comes, right? The harvest comes, and the wheat that has been allowed to grow is harvested into the barn. It, it's, it's, it fulfills its purpose. It stands to the glory of the landowner and his wisdom and all of those things. The, the harvest, the wheat, is allowed to grow. And this is so tremendously encouraging because we feel like, we feel like oftentimes we're not growing. And we feel like it would be a lot wiser for God uh, to have extracted, you know, the various weeds from our lives uh, so that we could grow better. But God in his wisdom says, no, I, I know the character of the wheat. I am a capable farmer and I am going to allow these weeds in the field because I know that the wheat will continue to grow. And and this is the the central encouragement of this parable uh, for us as we make our way through a a pollution-strewn world. Uh, The pollution of sin has has littered our way as we go In, in so many ways. Right? We see broken systems in government, in our homes, all of these things. We, we see uh, disease that racks our body. These, these are all the results of the enemy sowing the weeds into the field. Uh, we see our own guilt-ridden hearts. Uh, we, we struggle with pride and narcissism. We struggle with uh, despondency, anxiety, worry, all of these things. And God comes to us and says, I know what I'm doing. Despite all of the pollution, despite all of the guilt that sin and the enemy has wrought into this world, the harvest will come and the wheat will be gathered into the barn. You can have confidence in that, you little ones. You can have confidence in that, in all of your weakness, in all of your fear and all of your wondering whether God knows what he's doing, you can have confidence that you will grow and that I know what I'm doing. There's a wisdom here. It's, it's okay for us uh, as a church to make our way, and when I use the word church there, I'm using the word you know, those who have uh, pointed our, our arrow towards Christ and are, are living into that. It's okay for us to go out into the world. We don't need to withdraw into a holy huddle and, and only talk to those who are perceived Christians. You know, part of Jesus' point is you need to live among this. This is part of your development. This is part of your growth. This is the way I have ordered my kingdom. We're not just to have little enclaves. We are to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Consistent with Jesus' teachings uh, in various other places. But there is a, a confidence that he gives us to live our lives 
in the face of an enemy, to live our lives in the midst of a tear-strewn world, there's a confidence that we can stand and continue to do that. You know, Paul picks up a, a similar theme. He talks about, uh, this is in 1 Corinthians 5, he's talking about sexual immorality that defiles the church. Uh, and so again, making that distinction, he's saying, you know, from within the church, you need to purge the immoral brother. So again, Jesus is not talking about inside of the church walls that we're okay to let wheat and tares grow side by side. You know, that is one of the reasons why we practice discipline. Uh, we practice discipline for the restoration of people uh, and for the purity of the church. Uh, but he says, and, and Paul's very careful to say, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. You know, Paul is saying specifically about the church, but he's very explicit in saying, I don't mean the world. He's being consistent with what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying there is a real enemy. There is a real enemy who wants to do you harm, but you need not fear. You, de you need not fear because I am with you. I am at work in your heart and life, and I will bring you into harvest despite uh, this mixture. One person uh, just commenting on this says, you know, what, what Jesus really encourages us to here is a patience. You know, time and truth. Continuing to press into uh, the truths that God reveals to us in the world and allowing God to work in us. You know, so often, uh, I want things now. Uh, we live in a now generation, and I want Jesus to come in, and I want uh, instant sanctification. I want, uh, you know, all of my troubles to be taken care of. I, I want all of these things, and I want them now. But what, what Jesus is teaching the church here is that this, this is happening, and it will happening. There is a patience uh, and there is a confidence that we have in our Savior. The other thing that, you know, we want to emphasize here, I think Jesus wants us to see, is that there is a real yield. Uh, if you look at the end of the parable of the sower, uh, or the, the different soils, we're, we're actually going to look at that next week. Uh, verse 23 says, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, and in another case 30. I'm not a farmer, uh, nor the son of a farmer, uh, so I, I don't, I'm not an expert in yields. But what I do know is this, these were unbelievable yields for that day and age. Uh, they, they didn't have Roundup, they didn't have some of the other things, you know, this was organic farming, right? Uh, and, uh, and to have that kind of yield was unheard of with that kind of farming. Uh, and, and so Jesus is saying, like, look it, we're not going to just barely squeak by, but this kingdom 
is going to produce enormous yields. They are going to be real yields. And that's part of what he is saying when he talks about this mustard seed and he talks about the leaven. You know, the emphasis in both of these is the fact that these are small, very small compared to what they produce. Uh, it says the mustard seed is the, the smallest of seeds. We know it's not the smallest of seeds purely scientifically, but in terms of what they used each and every day, it was a common seed and was considered the smallest seed that they yield, and yet, or that they use, and yet it would yield this, this, this bush, uh, a, a bush that could be, you know, seven to ten feet tall that birds could come in and, and nest in. The point is not the supernatural growth, but what Jesus is saying here is there is a, there is a confidence in the unexpected. You know, there is this tiny seed. It doesn't look like anything. And yet it yields this productive, useful bush. Useful to the birds of the air. Useful to, uh, to those who, who harvest the, the mustard seeds for their everyday use. And the same thing with the leaven. And, and there is an aspect here in which leaven is, is a bit unexpected because leaven is often used uh, to talk about sin or wickedness. You know, get rid of the leaven of the Pharisees. Some of you are familiar with that. It's not exclusively used that way. Uh, but there is a bit of an unexpectedness here to what Jesus is saying. We take a little loaf, lump of leaven, and it can do, you know, three measures of flour, 50 pounds uh, can, can be done. You know, something so small, seemingly so surprising, can have such an effect. And again, Jesus is encouraging his, his disciples, this beleaguered band. What kind of progress is Jesus making? You know, he, he's not overthrowing the Roman Empire. I don't see him moving in that direction. Can I really trust him? What kind of kingdom is he talking about? You know, look at us. We're, we're just a group of people. None of us are very educated. We don't have positions of influence. Can we really go forward? Will it really make a difference? And Jesus is saying, yes, yes, we may be small. We may be unexpected. But God uses precisely the small and the unexpected. I can imagine that this parable was so encouraging to them. You know, this teachings of Jesus as they watched him be crucified. You're, I, I thought you were going to do great things. I thought you were going to establish your kingdom. And what are Jesus' words to Pilate? I am indeed establishing my kingdom, but my kingdom is not of this world. It's a kingdom that, that's built on a cross. It, it's a kingdom that, that defies our expectations. But nonetheless, it's a kingdom that prevails. It's a kingdom that, that explodes in growth. And just thinking about this, you know, you think about Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee and calling Peter and uh, Andrew and, uh, and John and you know, just three, four of them, and how it has grown over the years. You know, through the death on a cross, an execution as a Roman criminal, uh, through persecution, 
And what was originally one person, four people, 12 people, 70, 500, 3,000, is now millions of people throughout our world. You know, we, we live in a day in which we love big and we don't even see sometimes just how mighty the kingdom that God is building and how he is bringing that kingdom into the final harvest. So, little ones, you know, those of us who come to the kingdom like little children, defenseless, helpless, and weak, do you hear the encouraging words that the Savior brings to us today? I will gather my wheat into the barn. Have confidence. I will use you as unexpected as you might consider yourself, as small as you consider yourself, to be a portent of the beauty of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, a kingdom against that will prevail against all enemies, Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for uh, how it comes to us for the purpose of this encouragement. We pray that you would uh, build up our hearts. And, and Father, we do pray uh, that its, its beauty, its surpassing greatness would continue to, uh, to light the corners of our heart, tickle the, uh, the wonderings of our mind that we might be drawn to it, all of us here within uh, the sound of this teaching, may we be drawn to it, whether for a first time or whether for a hundredth time. Father, we thank you that you are faithful and that we can trust you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.